Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Padding Through the Matrix on the 8th of December 2010. I always suggest newcomers go into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and bookmark all the other sites I've got listed there, the official sites I have and you can download audios to your heart's content uh, which are for, for free of course and um, I try and give you shortcuts to the big picture of this big illusion that you live in which you're taught to believe is reality and show you how it's done and the big organizations behind it, how it got here and where it's all supposed to go. And I don't think they've been set back in any of the big agendas. I think they're right on target. And they're on a move now, a big, big move, as they train the world's population into a whole new cultural way of living, a whole new society, basically back to a feudal system of masters and slaves, really, uh, only they won't call you slaves, they'll call you citizens or something or to keep you all happy. But it's really their works that you watch. You know them by their works. That's a very good little quote that you always know what they do by watching them, not what they say. So help yourself to the audios. Remember, all those sites listed on cuttingthroughmedias.com have transcripts as well in English to download if you want to print them up and read them, pass them to your friends as well as the audios. And you can get transcripts in other languages if you go into Alan Watt Sentinel.eu, which is also listed on the com site. And remember, you're the audience that bring me to you if you want to keep me going. You can buy the books and discs and so on I have for sale. And believe you me, donations are also appreciated. There's not enough come in ever. And um, that's why the way it keeps me going. I don't sell anything else. I don't bring on advertisers to sell various products to you. And the ads on the show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN for the airtime. They broadcast this show, and they, they pay for their staff and their equipments and their bills. So help me out with mine. And you can do so by ordering the stuff on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It's written differently from other books and so on, the ones I've got out there. Uh, I don't bother giving you a wasted time with his stories, the official stories of things. And that's all history is. I give you the techniques behind the management of populations, and the the con men, really, the high priests who manage your affairs and your world for you. Now, you can buy the books and so on from the U.S. to Canada. Use a personal check, that's okay. You can use an international postal money order from your post office from the U.S. to Canada. You can also send cash. You can use PayPal to order or donate if you want to to order to send the appropriate donation followed by a separate email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it right out to you. Across the world, same idea. You've also got PayPal to order and and donate as well. Same idea, send a separate email after donation to order uh, with your name, address, and order. I'll get it out to you. You've got Western Union, which I think is a bit hefty for its fee. It's charged for wiring money. You can use MoneyGram too, which can be wired, but MoneyGram also has the option of purchasing a check, which they write out for you in Canadian dollars, 
to be cashed in Canada and you post it, it's far cheaper. And some people send cash anyway, so uh, that's still accepted in the banks at the moment. But you have to understand that really sciences have been at work for an awful long time. And the first major science that really gave power to any group was the science of understanding human behavior, mass human behavior, simply by studying the populations. It goes all the way back to Sumer and before that, in fact. And you get hints of that reading the old stories from Sumer. And those who lived up in the caves, who were actually the deviants who were kicked into there, they were the prisoners, you might say. Rather than kill them, they eventually, unfortunately, uh, put them into these caves and they studied the populations down below. They were well fed, nothing else to do except see how they lived. And that's how you study human behavior. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about management really of vast populations, ancient arts, ancient techniques and how really people used to live in caves at one time above the populations. They were stuck in there initially because they were criminals really and unfortunately folk didn't kill them off, they fed them and they became a brotherhood and they studied the populations down below, all their habits, traits and how they, they would meet up and eventually marry and have children, all these kind of things. And these became sciences, and of course, later on they came down, and since they'd basically been the only ones watching the seasons and so on, they taught them how to plant and grow and went and do it, and they got important, and then they became really the, the high priests in ancient times. So this knowledge, of course, was never lost. It was always passed down through the ages, because every king and queen of even the ancient world used. It was essential to know these techniques, and you find the same thing in the, the pharaonic writings as well where pharaohs were taught at an early age the art of controlling and managing the population, uh, what made them tick. And, of course, it was quite easy in those days, too. You kept them rather simple and gave them a very basic religion. Generally, a religion where you'd have a big eye or something staring at you all the time, and mainly in your head because you imagined it. But this eye, this all-seeing eye, would see you wherever you went. And so you, never, you wouldn't run off. You see, you'd stay as a slave because the big god would know. And these techniques work very well on the people. And today, of course, into this new scientific way of control, as of destroyed and demolished religions, and it was an organized affair too, to do so 500 years of war, to, to abolish the religions as they stand, to take over, to bring in what they call the proper society, the society that's run by logic and reason and science. And, of course, it's very profitable for those at the top who sometimes call themselves the guardians from Plato's Republic, the guardian class, the ones who believe they've got better genes, and the proof of it is self-evident, they claim, because they own pretty well everything in the world, all their natural resources. What they don't own, they're going after by laws now, and getting it given to them by countries. And I want to touch on that tonight, because I mentioned a night ago, or two nights ago, that um, about the carbon taxes, and how you only pay for every breath that you take and everything that you purchase, you will pay supposedly for these mathematical equations they work out and how much energy it costs to produce that item and how much carbon it gave off in the production. I'm not kidding you, this is where it's all going. And we saw the, the cons with Al Gore and all these boys as they set up these world trading banks for, for carbon. 
And, of course, it also goes through the Rothschilds private bank in Switzerland, and that's the one that's set up for all carbon trading for the whole planet. We know that Europe and other countries are already trading in this stuff because uh, they gave out free to the big corporations. They gave out free, uh, basically, um, credits to start it all off. And they're making money off the credits. They haven't paid a penny in anything, but they're making money and profit off it. They can make money off anything, these guys. You can't keep up with their brains because they're designed to see uh, where profit can be made from the most incredible situations. It's it's not really human as far as I'm concerned. There's something wrong with these characters, wrong and right at the same time. They're, they're, they are the perfect Darwinian example of survival of the fittest, the top predators. But I haven't stopped at that, you see, because this agenda never stops. These guys have their tentacles into everything. And I mentioned the nutrient trading. I just touched on it and where that's going. And I'll put this link up again on the how nutrient trading could help restore the Chesapeake Bay. And it's put forth by the World's World Resources Institute. So you're an institute, you're another private foundation, you see, for the world resources. Something that they set out to get in the days of Cecil Rhodes. That was what he went over to, to Africa for, was to grab the resources of gold and diamonds. And, of course, they became eventually joined with the Milner Group, and became who were the bankers, and they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is also the Council on Foreign Relations. But it says here, the largest estuary in the U.S., the Chesapeake Bay, is a vital economic, cultural, and ecological resource for the region and the nation. Excess runoff and discharges of nutrients, particularly nitrogen and phosphorus from farms, pavement, wastewater treatment plants, and other sources have been placed on the bay, the bay on the Environmental Protection Agency's list of impaired waters. So they get the EPA, you see, in the U.S., to first classify something as an impaired water, and then they go in uh, with their, their nutrient trading schemes and make the farmers and anybody else pay for it. And they take, the pro- they take it all, profit, of course, massive profit for producing nothing. What a wonderful business, eh? Anyway, it says here, the proposed Chesapeake Clean Water and Ecosystem Restoration Act of 2009 would provide significant new resources and new approaches to help restore the bay. Nutrient trading, nutrient trading is one such approach. In a nutrient trading market, sources that reduce their nutrient runoff or discharges below target levels can sell their surplus reductions or credits to other sources. It's exactly the same as the carbon credit scheme or scam. So it says this approach allows those that can reduce the nutrients at a low cost to sell credits to those facing higher cost nutrient reduction options. Now they're going to do this across the whole planet, you see, and they've already got their fingers in all the other countries as well. And it says the bill would establish a baywide nutrient trading market for the Chesapeake Bay watershed, allowing credits to be exchanged across state lines and among the watershed's nine major river basins. A baywide nutrient trading market would build on existing and pending state-level nutrient trading programs in Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. See, they've got sewn up already. A baywide nutrient trading market could help states and sectors more cost-effectively achieve Court-ordered nutrient pollution limits, there you go, courts are in it again, the law, called total maximum daily loads that are being developed by the EPA. Who does EPA work for? You all guess. It's not who you think it's not who you think it work for. It's not for you. It's for these guys. 
Anyway, it says the TML DLs will set limits on nutrient loads to the bay and its tributaries for the agricultural, wastewater, municipal, stormwater, and other sectors. So you're all going to get hit with these two uh, nutrient trading schemes or scams, along with the carbon scams. So it's, it's going on and on and on. As I say, it's from the World Resources Institute, which is kind of interesting, really, because when you go into the, the World Resources Institute, again, private, uh, non-profit, a non-profit organization, believe it or not, and then you look at the, the list of the board of directors, and you've even got Theodore Roosevelt the fourth on here. No kidding. And he's the managing director of Barclays Capital, United States. Not the big Barclays bank, see? So he's the managing director of Barclays Capital. Prior to that, he was managing director at Lehman Brothers and a member of the firm's senior client coverage group, which oversaw the firm's client and customer relationships. He joined Lehman in 1972 as a general banker in domestic corporate finance. And it goes through his history and so on, and uh, how he managed to get in with all the other boys on here. And Al Gore's on here as well. Al Gore, I mean, who would have guessed it? Um, it's, it's really astonishing. Uh, all these names, and I'll put these links up for you to peruse and throw darts at and stuff like that. And it says, um, they've got James A. Harmon, chairman of the board, Harriet Babbitt, vice chair, William D. Ruckelhaus, uh, Ruckels or Schaus, uh, chairman emeritus, Alice F. Emerson, uh, Robert Artevia, Francis Benig, uh, Afsani Beschloss, Fernando Henrique Cardoso, Robin Chase, Tiffany Clay, Leslie Dach, Daniel L. Dorkoroff, uh, and so on. And then Al Gore comes. There's Al Gore right there. My goodness. Al Gore's with his finger in every pie where they're going to rake in billions and trillions of dollars for punishing the public for living. Amazing, eh? This is astonishing. But yeah, look down at this whole bunch here of this non-profit charitable organization that will set themselves up as the guardians of the world's resources well, they profit off it through their banking system. Quite something else, isn't it? Quite something. But not to be unexpected if you follow this agenda and you follow the history, of, the history of this agenda down through time. It's quite a long one. Well organized. In fact, it's the only organized organization on the planet, to be honest with you. It runs everything. Now, as we're all getting trained, as you've been trained to get on the net and, oh, it's indispensable, you can't go back to paper and pencil and counting and all that kind of stuff. And everyone's accepted that now and a lot of them can't do without it. They've been taught to Twitter like the birds and tweet like the birds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they come in with the cloud computing because this is where it's all meant to lead you into the cloud. And eventually you won't be able to save anything on a hard disk because you won't need one. You'll need a screen in your, your cell phone probably initially. And eventually it'll be the chip. Of course, everything's leading you to the chip, ultimately. But it says cloud computing could save the EU economy's 645 billion uh, euros, I guess, over the next five years. And then they give you this nonsense about how it's going to create 2.4 million jobs. And says the Center for Economics and Business Research. This is from the Telegraph. And it says, a report written by the Center for Economics and Business Research and commissioned by Data Storage and Solutions Company, EMC, reveals that the five biggest economies in the European Union could jointly save £645 billion over the next five years by switching some of their services to the cloud. This means that instead of building and managing its IT infrastructure on a per-office basis, companies will rent data storage in vast data firms and invest in computing power and software services 
accessed via web-based devices rather than stored on individual computer systems. Now, I told you for years this was where it was going to head to. And, of course, once you've got all your data stored and you have to get access to that to pay off a, of a, a bill or something, uh, this will be used as punishment. They'll deny you accent if you've been antisocial, as they call all the new terms that you do when you say, I'm not doing that, you're antisocial, and you'll be punished for it. It's a great way of... See, everything today is Pavlovian. It's simple punishment and reward. That's what everything today is based on the simplistic behaviorist psychology they're using on everyone. And it works very well with most folk. I mean, just today, someone from the East Coast in Canada uh, said that... Uh, I think he lives in a, in a pensioner home. And they, they'll have to get, show their ID. Anyone over 30 has to show their, or under 30, or might be under 30, has to show their ID, even, including the pensioners, to buy a bottle of booze at the liquor store. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning that a pensioner in the east coast of Canada um, has to show his, his ID card each time he goes in to buy uh, something from the liquor store, which is run by the government here. And um, he's obviously not under 30. And he does he did catch on. He emailed me and he said that, uh, that's it's training the public because it's training the public to show ID for everything and he's quite right but it's also training the person behind the desk you see to always ask for ID with a straight face you know and uh, eventually that's because you're training both the, the clients and the one who's serving you to do the same thing this is normal and one day that, that uh, server is going to be turn nasty if you make a fuss about it and she'll just call the cops because that's how quickly you train people into a new normal and uh, you're causing a problem, you're antisocial, and they won't even think through these words or terms or anything. They'll just call the cops on you and be really angry at you for not complying. You know, just comply. That's all we ask is you comply. You know, and that's what they'll do. But there's a site up too. It's called um, Progressive Populism for the 21st Century. And it's, it's got a very good article on the front page to do with corporate totalitarianism. Because, you see, it's the corporate laws that are running the countries now. And most folk aren't sure really what corporations really are. And this is how it starts. It says, one should never give away all of the keys to one's house because one never knows what others are going to do uh, to them once they have them. Just as this is true for the individual, it's also true for the nation. For the American nation, the lock these keys can open is our hallowed constitution, and the house they control is none other than our national independence and freedom. Then it goes through... Um, how they fought to keep the keys of the house against the Germans and then the Soviets afterwards. This is by playing our cards right and making the best deals both within and without. We defeated our enemies and preserved our freedom. The integrity of our house was maintained. But as we enter a new century, we find that our house has nonetheless been looted. Look about us and we see that it's been ransacked. There are no signs of a forced entry. Indeed, our house has been entered in the most peaceful of ways by order by, by way of our own keys, keys we have given away to the large corporations and malefactors of great wealth, companies 
or governments allied with and made stronger through the shared travails and challenges we endured through the past century of warfare. And that's true when you're all occupied with these wars and so on and you're all frightened and you're doing what you're told. These, these big corporations are just moving like crazy to gain more territory over you. So we've been so conquered with the Constitution being overturned by foreign conquerors and foreign agents that we never stopped to think about what would happen if the strongest and most respected pillars of our community were the ones to execute the coup de grace. Yet this is the situation we now face. Government has been weakened and the public domain has shrunk. In its place, a power vacuum has emerged and the corporate nobility has poured forth to fill the gap replacing the once public protections and guarantees of our Constitution with private, feudalistic, reciprocal contractual obligations. What would happen if the current trends continue, if the current corporate trajectory of our nation's laws and culture do not change, then what will our country look like? How will the Constitution apply in an epoch with minimal state power? And then it says how democracy would hypothetically function under corporatism. And here's what you have to know about corporate law. The Constitution and Bill of Rights only apply to state action. As such, if a private entity wishes to deprive you of any rights, they are allowed to. It's a private entity. There are exceptions regarding certain provisions and titles of the Civil Rights Acts, but these exist by way of statute and could easily be overturned through simple congressional majorities. Worst the court has for the past 20 years been showing a tendency to widen this public and private divide. What does it mean for you? Two is privacy. The Constitution protections uh, individuals enjoy in regard to privacy are not applicable to corporations. Corporations are totally allowed to acquire as much information about individual voters and taxpayers, and they call them consumers, uh, as they wish. Much of the information these companies now hold exceeds by 100-fold the information currently possessed by many intelligence and security agencies. Well, actually, they all work together today because it's all one organization that runs everything. Even worse, many of these companies have deals with the federal government whereby they provide the government with the data they acquire. In so doing, government, which is prevented by the Constitution from directly acquiring said information without probable cause, is thereby provided said information through an indirect collateral relationship with a private entity. All the Constitution does is prevent the government from directly soliciting for or acquiring it. Nothing prevents them from getting data or information gifts from the private sector. As of now, Rupert Murdoch, owner of Fox News, owns MySpace. He says he's doing this for consumer profiling, to profile you, you see. Some of this information has already been provided to the government under the Patriot Act. Freedom of speech in the community. There are now very few town centres where people congregate and assemble. As such, we don't really have the chance to hear what our fellow citizens think and feel, aside from what the TV and radio, all centrally organised and administers, administered, tell us what to think and feel. The few public forums available to us are generally increasingly run by corporations. Shopping malls, strip malls, apartment complexes, condominium complexes, they all have prohibitions on soliciting and loitering. But what this translates to in, into is an end run around the Constitution by appeal to private property. The result is that our fellow citizens are less exposed to the community, less exposed to other speech, and less exposed to the marketplace of ideas. And I'll continue with this, actually, because it's, it's 
it's got a lot to do with corporations and how they work and the rights that they have. Incredible rights. Back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix talking about basically your freedoms and rights in regards to the totalitarian system where now where corporations really have the big the big pool because we're in a public-private partnership now with everything. And of course the politicians are all bought off and put in there in fact by the big corporations and the comes from foreign relations. But it says here, uh, although corporate towns must still provide free speech, condos and apartments are different, and they're now far more common than privately owned homes. And then they give an example to see Marsh versus Alabama for a great example of the dangers a corporate town can pose to free speech. See, once you're in these gated communities and so on, they make the rules. It's a private organization. And uh, they can actually oust you and grab your home. But most people don't realize that if you break the rules. Then it goes into economic freedom too. And then it goes into freedom of movement, which is quite interesting. So if highways become privatized, what role would the Bill of Rights have on them, particularly if you had to pay for the use of such highways? And if the party you paid was a private corporation, well, that's all over the place now, isn't it? Would the private security guards that patrolled said highways be bound by the Bill of Rights if they're not state actors, as they call them? Would Miranda rights and parole cause still apply? What if you had to sign a waiver in order to utilize the said highway? Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence that all men are endowed, endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. And that means they can't be taken away or given away, even if given away voluntarily. It's amazing how these guys foresaw everything, too, because they knew their histories very well. Incredible education they had. However, this is no longer applies to the Constitution. Prosecutors often make deals with defendants, requiring them to waive certain rights. When you buy products and sign contracts, you often waive your right to a jury trial, agreeing to adjudicate your dispute in binding arbitration. As such, even if the Supreme Court found that you still had constitutional rights in a certain area, what if you are compelled by force of economic necessity to waive these rights? What if you have to waive your Miranda rights and due process rights in order to drive on a privately run freeway? What if you have to waive your rights to freedom of speech and even of religion in order to live in a certain private apartment building? Then they also give you another example, and I'll put this link up too at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show, and you can look them up for yourselves. But really, corporations have the right to do anything they wish, on, because they claim that is their property, that's their right of property. It's like going to a, into a shopping mall, and if you're barred from going in there, uh, the cops will come and actually do the job and take you away, if the security guards say so. Private property. And most folks now are, are living in someone else's property in the big cities. And of course, it's to get worse as they cram us all into the big cities under sustainable development, the Millennial Project and Agenda 21 from the United Nations. So I hope you understand what's happening. Well thought out plan. These guys at the top don't just sit by the day and make it up for tomorrow. These guys work 50, 100 years down the road. And they also look at every possible backlash that the public will have 
uh, from different sectors, and they work out, too, how to handle the backlashes before they move the first piece on the chessboard. It's all done beforehand. All done beforehand. Now, in Canada, they arrest you now in school if you want to take your inoculations. Here's an article here. It came out first in the National Post, and I'll put the links up for them too, at cuttingthroughthemetries.com. Boy didn't want needle and throws tantrum, charged with threatening. Police say they, they take school threats seriously, so seriously they charged a 12-year-old boy who threw a tantrum in his elementary school because he didn't want to take a vaccination needle. Durham Regional Police said officials from Ross Tilly Public School in Bowmanville, an hour east of Toronto, called them around 12.30 p.m. on Wednesday. The school had been administering vaccinations for hepatitis B, and the boy had become upset at the prospect of a needle. Well, that's still called, by the way, that's still called invasive surgery. I hope you realize you're supposed to give your, your anything that's stuck into you and pierces your tissue is invasive surgery. Anyway, it says, while taking to school, or talking to school staff, he threatened to cause damage to the school. This is what they're saying. Eh? The police said in a news release, probably that locked him in the door, uh, at the door or something. Officers consulted with the Crown's attorney office and charged the boy with threatening. A criminal charge, police said, was justified due to the age of the child and concerns over public safety. See, we've had it, folks. This is, uh, they can do it with you as they wish. And if you don't comply, they'll, they'll say you're a danger to the public safety and that's it, you're arrested. Anyway, it says he made a verbal threat against the school. It's supposed to said he was going to sue them. Maybe that was a verbal threat, wouldn't it? That's all it would take. And there's another, another site too on the same topic, but this, this boy, I'll put that up too. And it says, um, it says that, uh, uh, officers, officers consulted with the Crown Attorney's Office charged the boy with threatening a criminal charge which p- police said was justified due to the age of the child and concerns over public safety. This may or not be true. However, at no time did there appear to be any concern for this child's welfare. Not in these days, it's not. You know. There may have been many reasons why the 12-year-old didn't want to be vaccinated. Well, I don't want to be vaccinated. Uh, these re- range from being afraid of the needle to being worried about the possible side effects. It could be that hepatitis B is, in fact, a disease that is mainly transmitted through sexual intercourse or sharing dirty drug needles, which, of course, it is. And it gives you a link on this site, too, for the side effects of hepatitis B vaccine, and they're pretty drastic. They're really nasty stuff. It appears from the report that it's perfectly okay to give this vaccine to the children at school, but it's clearly not an option for any child to refuse to have it. Having the police brought into school sends out the message to the other children, and that's very important, folks, that's the truth here, that they must not refuse the vaccine. Clearly, this child did not want to have the vaccine and was subsequently treated like a criminal and an animal as a result. But, says, but is it perfectly okay to force vaccination or vaccinate a child if that child refuses the vaccine? Hospitals and schools are supposed to use a law called the Gillick Law, Gillick Laws, G-I-L-L-I-C-K, to establish whether a child is competent enough to decide where they want or do not want a medical procedure. When a parent doesn't want their child to have a vaccine, a child has a right to decide that they want the vaccine and overrule their parents' wishes by using the Gillick Law, a recent document entitled the College, the Royal College of Nursing. It says, Signpost Guide Nurse-Led Immunization of School-Aged Children explains the Gillick Law as follows. 
Even if a child is under 16, he or she might be able to give consent to medical uh, treatment, providing that they have sufficient understanding of the proposed procedure. Well, what's the proposed? We're going to stick this in you, this mush in you, and uh, inject it into your system. That's a procedure. However, a child may also refuse medical treatment, even if the treatment is life-saving. Although the Gillick Law originally was approved for use in England, it's now used worldwide. And I'll give you a link to that as well. It says, the following article explains how this law has been applied to cases in Canada. It's another link as well. When children refuse medical treatment, the role of government and assessments, a standardized test to assess a child's maturity and understanding would help judges in their Solomonic roles to render more uniform decisions in Canada. So there, there you go. I mean, if any child who's been on the Internet and saw how they made this stuff and the, the bloody mush that it all comes from, and it is a bloody mush, by the way, uh, should be shaking their boots. That stuff's getting injected into you. And they always have on these, these things too, and I've read them last week on some of them. They can't guarantee that it won't kill you. They can't guarantee that it'll even help you. It's all, we don't know. It might and it might not. And so on, all these legalistic ways out in case anything happens to you. But that's your rights nowadays. If you're a child, um, you're, you, you must do what the state tells you. You're owned by the state now. That's what they're telling you. You're owned by the state. And the schools too, uh, with their zero tolerance policies, won't take any back-mouthing from any, any child who stands up for their rights and says no. They won't take that. That's taken as aggression. And uh, it's another term for it now. It's in the, the famous psychiatric uh, book of um, mental illnesses, if you stand up and talk back. So uh, it's, it's ridiculous what we're in. We're into the scientific age now, where we're nothing more, as I say, than Pavlovian dogs being conditioned to be shocked or to be patted on the head if we're awfully good and do what we're told. That's where we are today. That's really where we are. Interesting, too, how the big agenda said a long, long, long time ago they'd have to destroy all the cultures of Europe and forced immigration was to be a big part of it. And Tony Blair's, uh, the assistant prime minister, whatever you call him over there, uh, wrote an article in the paper a few months back, and I did read it on the air here, where he said that he was told by Blair that they'd open the floodgates even wider to immigration, to a country already sinking under the weight, I think, of 30, 40 years of it. And uh, basically it was from the most diverse cultures in order to destroy what Blair wanted to destroy, and that was the English culture. He said it must never arise again. It must be destroyed forever. Here's an article here. The schools where English is a foreign language for 80% of the pupils. And this is from the Mail Online, Britain. Children who speak English as their first language are in a minority in a rapidly growing number of schools, the figures reveal. The search has been most pronounced in London, where some boroughs, youngsters with a different mother tongue, make up nearly 80% of primary pupils. However, it's not confined to the capital. In Birmingham, Bradford and Leicester, more than 40% of pupils across all primary schools do not count English as their first language. Nationally, English is a foreign tongue to nearly one in six youngsters in primary schools. And... Um, it says, the figures to be published this week have almost doubled during the past decade, so they did their well, Blair did his job well, but that's why he was put in by his masters, of course. 
And it says in a projected increase by 23% more. So it'll be 830,000 out of 3.5 million by 2018. There are concerns that the increases will place school finances under strain. Well, they already do that because if they bring in interpreters to teach and so on, and, and even bring in teachers from other countries who speak English, but also speak those, those, those national languages from the other countries too. But that's what they wanted, because they must create a new culture, which will be not a mixture of the cultures, as to be a brand new culture eventually, and it'll be, go, they'll get through the hard times of conflict between different cultures by the use of force and threats, coercion and fines and all the rest of it. That's on the book. That's how you train the public in every country. That's how it's done. And then, too, in the U.S., with Christmas coming up, and, of course, we've had all the, the massive propaganda for 20 years now to change the term Christmas to holidays and so on, but there were some holdouts in the U.S., and this one is from the Philadelphia Daily News. It says, let's call it the German Holiday Village. It says, that season again, which means that for the third year in a row, the German Christmas Village has set up a cozy collection of wooden booths and tree vendors in Dilworth Plaza on the west side of City Hall. But a few shoppers noticed something I missed yesterday on the tall metal archways signaling uh, the entrances to the shops. The archways had just one word on top which said village, so the Christmas part had disappeared. <laughs> it turns out the letters spelling Christmas were removed yesterday afternoon from the archways in the north and west sides of the plaza, at the request of Managing Director Richard Nigren. They will be replaced with the word holiday. What is, what is holiday? Happy holiday. It's like, how's your wellness? It's the same nonsense, eh? City spokesman Mark McDonald said Nigren asked for the change after the city received complaints from workers and residents. Really? Really? But they can tell you that anyway, can't they? Most folk don't really care. Most folk really care. But just furthermore, the destruction of the, the old cultures, which must be done. And it's, it's said in all their articles and all their books that are published from the top level that, that they'd have to destroy all the existing religions and then bring in the new religion. Remember, too, that Gorbachev said in one of his books that we're bringing in a new world religion. He said and it must be based on a form of earth worship. He's talking about sustainability, the greening agenda and all of that. And, of course, your carbon taxes and your nutrient taxes and all the other taxes that they'll dream up out of thin air uh, will be added on to it to make sure you all comply. There'll be fines, too, uh, galore, if you don't comply. This is the brave new world you're already into. You're into it. And most folk out there don't realize, too, that their behavior, their present behavior, has all been modified from the previous generations to allow them to merge into this new system. We've been degraded in many ways without even knowing it. We've been taught to be perpetual children, to stay a child forever, never grow up. It's a youth culture, you see. We want a youth culture. We don't need wisdom and maturity. Just go out and rut like bunnies. And that's the message we've had for years and years since the 60s, just rut like bunnies. And if there's any consequences, the state will take care of it for you. Don't worry about it. And that was all to destroy the family unit, because the family unit really and the culture all go together. And they tend to be disobedient to government at times, because the family is just a small tribe. Then when other families all having things in common get together, they're a bigger tribe, and government had to make sure that they destroy all their opposition and all their potential enemies. That's why they did it. They discussed this. Julian Huxley discussed all this stuff. 
Aldous Huxley discussed it as well. All those who brought in the, the family planning, Margaret Sanger, who called children weeds, little weeds, she said. And they, all, they all said the same thing, that it destroyed the family unit. So did Karl Marx, Lenin, all the rest of them. On and on it goes. You think it's a different agenda? It's the same agenda. Because communism blended with the, with the, the corporate world. And the last thing the average person in the street ever imagined was that the communists, like in China, and they're still basically called communists, by the way, look at the flag if you haven't noticed, become the richest people on the planet. You never thought that the big ones, up, 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 like Arm and Hammer, the big communists, would be multi-billionaires and all their offspring. Never dawned on you they would become the top capitalists. It reminds me too that Albert Pike said in his Morals and Dogma that we, by thrift and even using the stock market, he said, the stock market, Anyways, what he meant by this was using surreptitious ways of, of dealing with the stock market. In other words, not quite what you would say were. They might be legal in some ways, but not really moral, because they don't believe in morality in Pike's uh, particular uh, group. He said we shall become masters over the masters of the world by accumulating wealth, incredible wealth. It's all been done. That's where Al Gore and all these boys are from. To be a CEO today, you must be on board with them. They're all part of this, the Council of Foreign Relations. They're all part of the same agenda. It's a world agenda. And they have countless think tanks working on every facet of culture, society, and change. And all oppositions that will come up in the future, as I say, before they even set the, the, the first chess piece into motion on the board. They've run through it all in a rigorous, rigorous fashion. As generals do, when they talk about a war, upcoming wars, they work all the different moves out in advance, all the opposition to those moves out in advance before a a single soldier steps foot on the soil that they're going to invade. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Britain is taking the lead, of course, and all of this always does, of course, since the whole idea of a world government was born in London. And they're into communitarianism, as they pretend to do decentralized power down to the local level. And it's really communi- communitarianism is a form of communism, really. And they already have their common purpose, um, Gestapo ready to lead the people and decide how they're going to live and so on. Here's an article she'll put up tonight. It's councils set to start lecturing the people on losing weights. This is where it's all going. So your local council will be given powers to encourage residents to lose weight, cut back on alcohol and give up smoking as part of the government's proposals. They're going to appoint more than 150 directors who will be in charge of helping local authorities drop plans to help residents lead healthier lifestyles. That's eating everything. That's coming to your homes, folks. The report back to the Quango Public Health England, which is being set up by the government to deal with pandemics, such as swine flu outbreak last year, which was non-existent. 
The plan comes months after the coalition promised to cut back on unnecessary public bodies and bureaucracy to save money. Hmm. As part of the proposals, councils will be allocated a slice of a national public health budget worth £4 billion to help tackle problems such as obesity, smoking and excessive drinking, starting in 2013. There'll be no peace, no privacy, nothing. You'll be regulated from birth to death, that's what I've told you, for years. Because I've read all their books. And they mean what they say. They do it, and they've got the money to do it, the power. And the public don't know. They're all manipulated with psychology through their lives. They're in a half-dream-like state most of the time, never truly conscious. And then also this other link I'll put up to from the Guardian. Residents in nine areas to help determine local spending. I said that would happen too, where you'll be allocated so much of a budget for your local area, and they'll appoint someone, some NGO leader, to go off and uh, to the World Bank and borrow for your particular area, and they'll decide how much health care you get and so on and so on. I'll put that up as well. But as I say, this is, here's, here's how your, your governments are controlling you. It's, it's to come to America too, by the way, if you don't think it's happening. There are, it's a big push in what they're calling volunteerism. Same in Canada. There's magazines put out your local authorities now on volunteering. And this is all to replace all the so-called public services that you're paying for. They won't reduce your taxes, of course, so that'll go elsewhere, probably sent off abroad somewhere to some corporation. And you will be down to preventative medicine, as they say. Or they'll say to you, well, in your area, we can't send you off for this operation because we've run out of cash from the budget and the World Bank won't give us any more. This is a system of the planned society that the Huxleys, both of them, talks about. And these guys are in a roll, and they're laughing, and they're cheering. They're cheering like crazy. It's just astonishing what's happening. Absolutely astonishing. Only if you live in disbelief all the time. Oh, I can't believe that. You're always in shock. That's most people. You've got to get over that hurdle and start studying and knowing. And then, at least if nothing else, you're stronger to handle it. And that's what's going to be awfully important as we go through the incredible changes at an incredible speed that we're now going into. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. So may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>